podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Welcome back. This is part two of the Cricket Badger Podcast Christmas Special. Let's get straight back in to the best clips of 2020. It's that Badger style. Paul Edwards, terrific cricket writer, came on to the Cricket Badger Podcast in June of this year. And one of the questions I've started asking people more and more is how they fell in love with the game. We all love cricket. We all got into it in slightly different ways. But Paul's answer to this question is one of the best I've heard. Gosh, what a question. Oh, Lord. It is, the bit, it is the simple truth that when I was, before I was conscious of many things, you know, that you're, you're aware of sort of scores and things like that. Well, it is true. My, my parents have told me this and people, people should believe it because it does happen to be the truth. But if, if, uh, if they wanted to shut me up and the cricket came on, and this is very much black and white days and, you know, edit of, uh, an hour of play every morning on BBC, and the test cricket came on and they just sat me in front of the TV. I'd watch, um, I'd be quite happy and, and, and silent and utterly transfixed by what was going on. But it was love at first sight um, and love at first conscious sight as well. I, I remember, for example, Colin Cowdery coming out to bat at Lords with a broken arm in 1963 and David Allen of Gloucestershire facing the last two balls of, the, of that great test against the West Indies and my first county championship match. I mean, I really am. You know, we really are talking infant school stuff now. Was Lancashire against Derbyshire at Southport in 1965. And I now live 600 yards from that ground. So I was, I was lost to cricket before I knew it. And it was a whole fascination of the thing, really. The numbers, the, for sure. The, the the curious architects of the stumps, everything these huge you know they were so so easily disarranged. The notion of bales, everything about it, absorbed me, and I I can honestly say that I've never found, I've never watched a game of cricket from which I could take nothing, and I don't think I've ever watched a game and been bored by it. So. You know, I'm afraid, I'm afraid it's a life sentence. There is, there is something different to every game of cricket, but I don't tend to, I've met a number of people who when they find out that, that I'm a cricket writer, say in, in, in fairly frank terms that I wouldn't dream of using on the, on the radio, that, um, that cricket bores them. And I say, well, that's all right. That's your, t- that's your take on it. Everyone is different. And if people want an all action game, then, then cricket is, is not for them. You know, there's that famous comment of Hackney, I suppose, now. I think of um, Groucho Marx watching a game of cricket. And the the, the thing got underway, and he watched it for five minutes and turned around and said, has it started yet? (laughs) Uh, Because it it was so slow by his terms, by terms of, I suppose, baseball or something like that. But there is, I, I like the idea of, so many pieces, so many skins, as it were, to the to the cricket onion. That's exactly right. And there are so many different things that appeal that appeal. 
so many different aspects of it that appeal to, to different people. The, I've mentioned the statistical side. There's also the, the aesthetic side. There's the technical side. I'm not sure that any game probes those three depths, the technical, the aesthetic, the statistical, with quite the depth that cricket does. And the other point that I'd make, because I've, I, I wrote a piece about this only the week before last, is that no get no get you mentioned about Canterbury and absolutely I mean I can just imagine the cigarette smoke wafting around the uh, the, the woolly stands and all the rest and and Les Ames and um, no game is as dependent on its environment as cricket apart I suppose from golf because with golf you actually play the environment and in a way you play the course in cricket of course any cricketer that you speak to if you ask them about a game any professional cricketer would start talking about the wicket. And so it's that environment. Every cricket ground is different too. Every cricket ground has its own particular magic. And there isn't one that I have that 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 I've uh, that I've visited that I haven't found remarkable. Including absolutely including club club cricket grounds in that. Mortgages are simpler than you think when you have a crocodile on your side. Blue Crocodile, making mortgages snappy and simple. Visit bluecrocodile.co.uk, follow them on Twitter at Blue Croc Money, or find them on Facebook, Blue Crocodile. 2020, it's been a very, very strange year, but hopefully in 10, 20 years when we look back, this year will also be remembered for the year that the world woke up to racism in its different shapes and sizes. The George Floyd murder... Black Lives Matter, forget the political side of things, it's just those three words, Black Lives Matter. Understanding that, understanding white privilege, reading up on it, whether you're black or you're white, is the only way we're going to get rid of racism in our society. When Michael Carberry came onto the Cricket Badger podcast in June, nobody in cricket had really spoken about racism. It was shortly after the George Floyd murder, and a lot of media picked up on what Carb said to me on the Cricket Badger podcast. Obviously, since then, Azim Rafiq, who we'll hear from in just a few moments' time, Ebony Rainford, Brent, Michael Holding, and plenty more besides have been very powerful on the issue of racism. But hats off to Michael Carberry. He was the first, and he came onto the Cricket Badger podcast in June. I wasn't sure, A, what I was going to ask, because I felt a little bit out of my depth, or B, what he was going to say. He was so open, so honest and so powerful in what he said. Obviously, racism goes through all types of different society, all types of industry, institutional racism, all the rest of it. And I suggested to Carbs that maybe cricket's a little bit complacent in that respect. But if cricket mirrors society, then racism must exist inside cricket, surely. Carbs' answer to that provoked headlines around the sporting world. To be honest, I think cricket is right with racism. And the issue you have in cricket is that the people running the game don't care about the black people in it. Simple as that, right? Black people are not important to the structure of English cricket. If you look around English cricket at the moment, in the important areas of the game, so what I'm saying is where the important decisions are made, name one black man that is in that point position. So we're talking now in in the Andrew Strauss role or so to say Ashley Giles role. Yeah. Which black man has ever had the opportunity to make the big decisions on English cricket, not one. You scale down at such. So you're now looking at England head coaches. When has there ever been a black England head coach? Never. What about an assistant coach? Never. You scale down at such again. Any black captains? Oh, yeah. Oh, funny enough, yours truly for about six games. And the yeah. guy that preceded me got the captain the rest of the season and lost every game. 
Look at the amount of players left in the game since I retired. If you look around county cricket, how many black county coaches are there in county cricket? Not one. And I know guys that have gone and done their level three and level four. So they are more than equipped to do the job and have played a long time. But you know why? The system will never give them the job. Historical data tells you there are no black people within the game in poignant positions that are able to not only make decisions, but also inspire the next generation. If I was a young black boy now looking to get into cricket, who, who am I looking at? Who am I looking at that can inspire me? If you go down that route, ECB and the ICC, I saw the ICC today saying that without diversity, we don't have a game kind of thing. ECB have done a nice little video um, where they've shown Adil Rashid, Moen Ali, Jofra Archer and Joss Butler, I think, have closeted together as being the example of diversity in the England side. This is what gets me with cricket, right? They love their slogans. They love their little posts. Is that dealing with the real problem? Has anyone stripped the layers back and asked the question, first of all, where does racism start? Because, as I say, you've got to know where you've been yep. to know where you're going, right? So racism just doesn't appear. It's come from an origin. And as I said, and you've rightly said, cricket was based on colonial leadership, right? And that colonial way of thinking has never, ever changed. Do you know why? Because the people running it are descendants of who? Colonial leadership. As I've always maintained, even when I was still playing, the only way change is going to happen is at the top. You have to change and weed out the current lot at the top. All this has happened under their watch. All the racism, generally across the board in the game, has handled, happened under their watch. So why are the ECB, rather than making a nice poster and campaign, and I'm telling you now, if you ask Moen and Rash about their issues in the game, okay, understandably, they're not going to come out and say because they're in the setup. And this is the thing. This, this is a decision most black people and people of colour have to make all the time, is that this thing is eating you inside every single day with what you hear in dressing rooms, what you see, the, the stuff people get away with and say to you. Such as what, Carl? What, what, what was your experience of, and, and what kind of thing did you have to deal with when you were playing? I've, had to, I've, I've literally almost come close to making a coach spit 32 out on the ground for stuff that he said to me, oh, oh I couldn't see you in the dark. And, you know, oh, what, what the brother's having tonight, a bit of fried chicken and rice and peas tonight. I had to drag him out of the balcony and say, listen, let me ask you something, mate. How much, how much time have you spent in black country? And he, and he literally wet his pants. And I said to him, let me tell you something, and I've always lauded my mum for how she raised me, was to become worldly. You want to be successful as a black man in this world, you've got to be worldly. So therefore, I've got to be able to mix in a room full of bankers, lawyers, doctors, surgeons, as well as my own community, go across to the subcontinent and be able to mix in their background, the community. That's how people become successful. And I said to this guy, let me tell you something, I wouldn't be where I am just mixing in my own community. I eat everything you do. I've probably experienced more things than you have. I, in fact, I know I have, right? Just simply from where I'm born to where I live now. I know I have experienced more things than you. And therefore, I don't feel the need to say something as ignorant as that to make myself sound funny. And he literally hung his head like a little child. So this is the thing most black guys... Now, bear in mind, James, I'm putting my career... And it probably ended up being the final nail in my coffin at that club. I won't name the club. But 
these are the things now you have to weigh up when you hear things like this in your in your company. Is that right? How does this now affect me out there? How does it affect my job? And not everybody I I accept is as outspoken as I am about this because rightly so. We all got we all have families to support and we have got bills to pay. But can you see how unfair it is that someone on a daily has to keep accepting this stuff? And I've seen other players who laugh it off because they want acceptance. They don't want to get dropped. They don't want to put a left hook on that guy. I understand that. Or even, not even say hit him, but actually have a harsh word with him and say, listen, mate, don't even say that to me again. Because that guy may have a, a massive, powerful influence in the team. And if you rub the wrong people up the wrong way, as you know, that's you done. That's, you, that's your career done. Everything you've worked towards, you're done. And, and things circulate. You know, oh, Harvey's a bit of a bit, bit fiery or the, or the temperamental black man or the angry black man. No, just treat me with the same respect I treat you with. That's all. There's no special language for speaking to me. But I get that a lot. People come to me, yeah, Carl, yeah, man, what are you saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand proper English. I'm like, why are you talking to me like that? Because if I'm talking to you, James, I'm not talking to you like I have a plum in my mouth. Hello, James, how are you? That was insulting to white people because it's insulting. So why do it? Is what I'm saying. It show, if I start to do that, it shows a lack of ignorance on my side. I find it really interesting what you said, actually, because the, the examples I've got on the pad in front of me, because I've made a few notes here, and all of the examples I've got are of individual um, players, a bit of sledging, um, the racial um, connotations of something they've said, yeah, Monkey Gate with Andrew Simons, Darren Lehman's comments in Sri Lanka. You've got um, Moen Ali being called Osama by the by the Australians, um, the Australian under under nineteens, and kind of ridiculing on their text message the Indian culture and and how they they go about stuff. But none of what I've got on my pad here is what I guess you would call institutional racism, which is exactly what you're saying. It's, you're saying that actually the kind of the bones of cricket are actually racist, aren't you? It's both, mate. It's both. I mean. You know, the, you know, things I said on the field, things I've got personal on the field as well. Equally, like I say, you know, we were talking off air, as I said, this is the problem cricket has, is that they think, they feel that racism is only skin deep. And I'm like, no, 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 you've got to peel back the layers to get to the real crux of the problem. And this thing now has mutated. And remember something, social media platforms have given people a lot more confidence and freedom to say the stuff that's in here that they don't have the balls to say to my face. I was going to say, talk about that because the ICC have got anti-racism, anti-discrimination legislation policies, whatever you'd, whatever you'd call it, and it refers to player on player. It refers to players to fans, etc. Joffre Archer obviously got racially abused in um, New Zealand, didn't he? And um, and complained yeah. about that. Um, but one of the things I don't think it covers is social media. And Ian Wright, Arsenal, he got. I mean, he came public the other day, but he basically said, this is, this is every day. Every time I say anything, I get this kind of stuff. And he got the absolute abuse on there by people that obviously haven't got half a brain cell. But it's, I mean, that, that must hurt if you get that. Or do you become impervious to it? I mean, it must hurt every day, mustn't it? Well, listen, Jane, you, you have to, I believe, to be successful in saying sport, because that's what we're talking about here. To be successful, you have two fights. Okay. And this is something white guys don't have to deal with, right? So I walk in a dressing room for the first time. I've got to go way and above to firstly get acceptance and get respect from my fellow peers, right? So I've got to work out now how I'm going to go about this when the abuse starts or the little snide remarks start or 
things are done in order to keep me back, you know, because that's been done as well, right? How do I handle it? So that's one fight. And you've got to remember, all this stuff takes a lot of mental energy from you. And then there's a small matter of, and this is the fight everybody has, whether you're white, you're black, you're blue, you're pink, you're Asian, you're Chinese, whatever, is am I good enough to go out there and perform and be very good at what I do? Which should be the only question you've got in your head, isn't it? Exactly. I'll tell you now, from the tender age of nine, my parents were all, had already noticed that they needed to educate me on things, let's say the peripherals. Look, you have to be strong in this game if you want to make it. Now, at nine years old, some would say, you know, at nine, you, all you should be worrying about, well, you shouldn't be worrying about anything. You should just be making friends, making networks, and enjoying the sport, if it's cricket, for what the game is and learning the skills of the game. You shouldn't have to yeah. be already thinking about how to reply to certain people. Like, I remember coaches used to ask me, even at night, well, if England and West Indies are playing, who are you supporting? What does that matter? I'm nine years old. I, I, I support the people who inspire me. And there were English guys who inspired me. I love to watch David Gower. I used to like watching Graham Thorpe as a boy. I ended up playing Graham Thorpe. That was, that was my boyhood hero. Ricky Ponting was another boyhood hero of mine, as was Brian Lara and Viv Richards. Right. So, but these are the things that you're constantly being tested. You know, who, who would your parents support if you were playing against the West Indies? Absolutely. Is that even a question? My, my parents are going to support me. You know, I got asked when I was playing for England why I wear a Barbados wristband. I said, because it's part of my heritage and I'm proud of it. But does it make me any less English? Check my passport. I'm more English than half the guys I went on tour with. Yeah. At least I was born here. I was born here. Born South London. Check my passport. So these are the things as a pro, well, as a young kid, as a pro, I have to do. I also have to deal with being ignored in teams. You know, I remember being picked for the under-15 World Cup and just being totally ignored. And I was, I think, one of the top, I think I was the second in the national averages and then, and played one game in the tournament. I was ignored. You know why? Because you talk to the West Indies guys too many times. You talk to the Australians too much. Yeah. And guess what? 11 years on, that coach's conscience obviously pricked him enough. I'm just about to board the plane for the ATOR, my first ATOR, and that's where he's come and apologised. But I told him, you know what, all right, cool, man. I'm a man's man. It takes it takes a real man to come and say, I'm sorry. But it took him 11 but I years. Him. Well, listen, better late than never, right? And I said, you know what? I'll tell you one thing, though. What I will say to you is thank you. And he was a bit confused. Why, why are you thanking me? Because if it wasn't people like you, I wouldn't be here today achieving what I have. Going through what I've gone through to get where I've got to and achieve what I've achieved. So it gave me that, that mental note, yeah? That's another barrier you have to learn to kick down. And, and this is sad stuff that a parent has to sit down with a nine-year-old. As young as nine, my mum used to sit me down and say to me stuff like this, right? You've got to be three times as good just to get the same opportunity. There was a... And my career was synonymous with that. Yeah. 34 years old before I got my real chance. And I was knocking out runs for fun. Two or three months after Michael Carberry had appeared on the podcast, Azim Rafiq came on as well. Former Yorkshire off-spinner came on to talk about his struggles towards the end of his career with mental health and near suicide, not helped by the fact that he had a stillborn baby in 2018. I actually edited the 
an original podcast that went out because I left quite a big pause after one of Azim Rafiq's answers that you'll hear just in a few moments' time when he talked about carrying his stillborn baby from the hospital to the graveyard. Get your head around that. Horrible. So here's Azim Rafiq talking about his struggles with that and the end of his career at Yorkshire. It's that badger style. And begin to think about how having a stillborn child would make you feel. And you had that in May of 2018 and then a few months later released by Yorkshire. That That is tough. I mean, the stillborn child is, 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 is horrific. It's horrible to happen to anybody. But then to actually lose your county contract after that as well. Where, where did that leave you? Nowhere. Nowhere. I, uh, I felt, to be honest, James, it wasn't just that the whole nine months of pregnancy was difficult. I can openly have spoken about it. I can openly say it was very difficult. At times, I got phone call when I was at training, uh, when um, from the hospital, and at times it was really difficult. And um, look, I'm not. I mean, it's pretty clear what where I'm heading and what I've. I mean, support would would be a sort of compliment, really. If anything, I felt like that got used used um, against me, and there's, there's a few situations which I could talk about. There's a few situations I've got. That there is, it's not hidden. And I felt like the decision had already been made on my future. And uh, ultimately, it got my situation that I was in, which, I mean, no fault of my own. Um, horrible situation. I won't wish on anyone. And it was the way that was used to get um, what they wanted. That That's what left more than anything. That's what left... Uh, yeah, no, no two ways about it. I'm, it broke me. And it really, yeah, it really, it, I mean, the stillborn, really difficult. The nine months leading up to it was horrible. But the aftermath is um, was incredible. It's so, so difficult. And, I mean, uh, I remember one of my last, last meetings, um, an individual made the courtesy to actually come out and see me and uh, said that they would uh, support me in everything. I think I got a little email, and that's the last I heard from anyone. So, um, all from my point of view, there's a like I said, it, it killed me for a long, it killed me for a while. Really, I didn't want to be anywhere. I lost all trust in anything and everyone, uh, really, because these are the people I have spent. I spent the last best part of a decade around, um, who I thought had my best interest, and I can look. They were under pressure. Team was losing. Every, everyone were questioning everything, but that lost my faith in humanity. It really did. The way it was done, yeah, horrible. Like I say, I can't understand. I can't even begin to imagine, and I don't really want to, how, how hard that was for you. And you, you, you're looking for your employer, whatever walk of life you're in, to be understanding, I guess, in that kind of situation, aren't you? Aren't you? And um, and to support you rather than offload you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, especially when you you've been told uh, otherwise all along then that that in itself and yeah like you said in that situation but especially i've seen i've seen other people get supported for things i mean i would never say it's, uh, anything is smaller than others but i know carrying my little boy from the hospital to the graveyard but i i, I don't know what could get harder than that in life so to get and i just yeah the i remember one of the last meetings um i was there, I couldn't. I could hardly speak. Two people in the hierarchy was too busy looking at the clock. They weren't really interested in the slightest. And look, obviously, they might have thought for a long time that just like everyone else, it's done, dusted, gone, 
couple of a uh, couple of news articles and they've done. It's not about me anymore, James. It really isn't. Um, I wouldn't. I feel like I'm pretty strong, and it nearly tipped me. It nearly tipped me. I wasn't far off. I just think to myself, if I don't stand up and raise a voice, even if I have to stand up on my own, I will because it could happen to someone else and it might tip them. And then when it, and then who's held accountable? Then you'll see a lot of tweets. Then you'll see a lot of hashtag cricket community. Then you'll see a lot of uh, support for each other. But why support? I went it too late. Because I can tell you day in, day out, this is, these sort of things are happening. I wouldn't want anyone else to go through it. And that is my whole aim of this now. I'll, I'll be honest with you, mate. I'm, I'm actually struggling to get past that sentence you said about carrying your, your stillborn child to the graveyard. That is a pretty powerful image that's put into my head. And that's, a, that's a, a, a horrific. I, I really feel for you. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. We'll finish off this Christmas edition of the Cricket Badger podcast with three clips from the famous fans podcast that I'd done in the year 2020. Going to do a few more of those going into 2021 because it gives me a chance to talk about something other than cricket. Not that talking about cricket is ever a chore. But the first famous fan that we had on was former world number three snooker player Neil Foles. Big cricket fan. Spends a lot of his time outside of the commentary box these days at the Oval and at Lords watching county cricket. And here's Neil talking about the type of cricket he likes to watch. It's that Badger style. No, uh, uh, listen, I'm with you. I'm, I'm against the hundred uh, completely, and um, uh, I think like you, I, I'm not so small-minded that if it was on, I wouldn't watch it. I mean, why? Why would I not watch cricket? You know, I would, but I don't want it and I think that, that from what I've seen and I, I might have got all this wrong but I can only see people with vested interest in it who promote it I don't think there are many people who are just cricket enthusiasts that are really thinking well I can't wait for hundreds to come along because you've already got one uh, you've got the, 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 the glass which is good I mean if you can bring it back to snooker for a second there is one there's a tournament in snooker called the snooker shootout you may or may not have seen it but it's a short format of the game is that where they get only play- a certain amount of time to play the shot yeah yeah that's right. It, it's uh, all, all 128 players play. It's, it's played these, these days. It's played in, in, in Watford in the Watford Coliseum. It used to be up in Blackpool when it was on Sky, but it's changed broadcasting a few times now. Now a lot of people hate it, so this is horrible. I, I like it. Now I, I like I work on it, so maybe I'm one of these people with a vested interest. I'm lucky to be a commentator on it, but I really enjoy it. I think it's good. And it's four days of your season, and you go back to conventional snooker. I think that snooker shootouts great. I like the T20 stuff. I think that's great. But if there was any more than one form of it, if they said, well, we're going to have three more shootout events now this year, I'd say, hang on a minute. Those four days we have in Watford, the guy wins it with 50 grand, gets into another big event afterwards. That is great. But we want, I want to go back. Once I've seen 
one of those events. I don't really want to keep seeing it. And personally, I do not see any reason for there to be two T20 or the 100 not being T20, but the nearest thing you'll ever see to it coming through. It means nothing to me. I have no interest in it. Now, I know that maybe I'm always going to be a cricket fan anyway, and maybe that there is this suggestion that you're trying to get new people into the sport, but you're trying to get the football people into the sport. You're only going to do that for a short period of time. I'm, I've got no interest in it personally, and I, I think that the it must not compromise the longer form of the game. If it has to exist, it can't replace anything else. Graham Lambert was the next famous fan that came on to the Cricket Badger podcast, the Inspiral Carpets guitarist, big Lancashire fan. Here's how he likes to enjoy watching cricket at Old Trafford and how he passes the time. I first went, uh, well, 55. I first went in 76 when um, uh, I went to a Benton Engine game, Lakes v Hampshire. And then as a kid, just went as often as I could for about four or five seasons. And then as I've got grown into an adult, just go as many times as I can, which ends up these days being about five times a season. But my favourite form of the game was just sitting there for a four-day game, you know, just shirt off, you know, in a pair of shorts, feet yeah. over the seat in front and just talking to now what are seeming like blokes my age, who, when I was a kid, seemed like whiter blokes with flabby brown skin just sat there uh, soaking up the sun reading the paper watching cricket. I've turned into one of them, although I don't <laughs> sit there reading the paper. Yeah. Uh, I still score. I just have a, I can't drop the habit of if I don't watch your cricket for the day, I have to score it. It's just a, it's an addiction I've got. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I used to do yeah. that when I was a kid. When I when I first went along to cricket, I used to sit there and score it. But it's some, that's a, that's a habit I kicked. <laughs> yeah, it's like I guess it's like a, a drinking or a drugs addiction. Where um, if I know I'm going to be there for the full day, scorebook. Well, it's not so much a scorebook. I, I rule out at like a a page or a couple of pages went before I set up in the morning. Obviously, my wife takes the piss out of me royally. <laughs> I've got folders and folders of these, what are now like full scap sort of A4 ruled out sheets with the uh, scores. Because you, you know, um, the guys that do uh, tail enders, uh, they yeah. were doing um, something about scoring. So, it, I mean, I don't listen to tail enders because for some reason it just, just doesn't like, work for me somehow. I don't know why. And um, I'd put an Felix through music and then I, I saw him tweet one day about scoring so I sent him a private message of a video <laughs> of like what were about half of the score sheets I couldn't believe how many I had uh, just fanning through and one of them was when I was off in London one day with nothing to do I went to Middlesex second 11 versus somebody else can't remember and scored it like and obviously I didn't know who the players were because it was like second 11 so I was scurrying on through the internet and asking people like the odd person like the grounds when he was saying do you know this is batted <laughs> and then uh, pieced together like a full base player of scoring Middlesex team I can't remember it was that been Gloucester second 11 one of the outgrounds at like uh, Southgate I think it's called it but yeah just uh, love, I love just sitting there watching particularly the Red Bull game I just love it the thing about scoring in the game is you, you can't take your eye off it can you because if you if you walk away for 20 minutes have a chat with somebody you, you miss three or four overs and your scoring's gone to pot. Yeah, it's true. Um, the secret of that is uh, you learn to, like, not so much multitask, but double tasking to have a conversation when you're doing it. But in the four-day game, you, you could, like, nip to the toilet and, you know, you miss, like, one over or something. You can sort of soon piece it together. Refer to cricket because it's on the internet. It's dead easy to piece together. But, you know, I wouldn't rule, I wouldn't have it that all my score sheets are absolutely spot-on perfect. But in a way, that's, you know, with the old tea stain on it here and there, you know, this course, it's, it's, it's part and parcel of the story, really. You know, you, nobody will pull me up on getting a score sheet wrong in 2001, a county championship game between Lakes and Durham, but um, 
I can't find a no ball somewhere that someone pulled, you know, no one's ever going to pull me up about it, you know. So, but I do my best to make it as accurate as possible. But you're a potential safety net for Lancashire County Cricket Club. If their scorer suddenly turns ill, they can turn to you. Yeah, I, have a, I, I do it what might be like the kid old-fashioned way, you know, when you used to have those green culminative scoring books where I don't really do balls first and how many balls are third ball or ball that's third. That's just a general like, run-of-the-mill, pretty standard like club club scoring style, or as was pen and paper job, you know. <laughs> and finally, always been a big fan of Robert Bathurst, the cold feet actor, been in many, many different things as well. But he came on in September and he spoke about how he got into cricket, playing it, taking his first wicket, and how those early experiences created a lifelong love of the game. Obviously, you hinted at the mm-hmm. fact that you, you know, your mother loved the game and it introduced you to it. But what, what was it that made you fall in love with cricket? Where, where did that start? Well, uh, she may have led me towards the uh, the telly when it was on, but I think terrestrial t- TV. I used to live. We used to live in Ireland. We used to get the um, uh, used to get the the the, the feed, the uh, you know the scratchy black and white live test match feed, and um, I used to watch it from a very early age. I, I I used to be obsessed by the kit. I remember age five or six watching it and thinking, are the boots attached to the pads? <laughs> what, how do they, how does this work? What do, what do, they, what do, they, what do they do? So it's very exciting. When I went to a, a school in, in Ireland, which played a lot of cricket and uh, it was just, it was just great. We used to, we used to, uh, used to play with these very, very heavy compound balls. And uh, I remember I, I, in the first over I bowled, I, I got a, I got a, an off, an off, uh, an offy tweaker on and hit the, hit the wicket with it. And uh, I thought, ah, oh, this is fantastic. I love it. So yeah, no, I was I was I was obsessed with it. The style of it and the sort of the whole mystery of it was was um, something that struck me from a very early age. I think that's it, isn't it? You, there's so many different levels to cricket and so many different layers to cricket that you can never completely learn the game. There's always something new to discover. Yes, and um, there there is, and at every level, yeah, everybody has their own level, and everybody gets equally exercised about being out at whatever level it is. Um, the, the temples throb, the, the anxiety holds. The uh, you think well, I've done two good shots now. Okay, well, where am I going to go with it next? And uh, and you and you, you you get very depressed by your uh, inability, even even at the at the lowest level. So uh, what it must feel like at the test level, goodness knows. It's that badger style. There we have it then there, the clips that I've chosen to give you a bit of a a flavour of the Cricket Badger podcast in the year 2020. It's been a funny old year. Hopefully we won't experience years like this again. 2021, it's going to start in the same vein, but hopefully it will get better. And hopefully we'll all be able to get together at cricket matches in the not too distant future and enjoy our love of the sport in person. Thank you very much to all of the sponsors that have supported the Cricket Badger podcast through this year. TVSportsBlog.com, BodylineT-shirts.com, Manscaped. Blue Crocodile.co.uk and Moonrise Cricket. .co.uk. It's been a tough year for freelance journalists, just like anybody else out there. I'm not trying to put myself any different to anybody. Been a struggle, hasn't it? And uh, their sponsorship of the Cricket Badger podcast has been a massive, massive help. So thank you to them and please give their website a bit of a look. Buy their products and support them if you can. Thank you to every single guest that has provided me with their time during 2020 to come on to the Cricket Badger podcast. I don't put out interviews that I think are rubbish. They've all been brilliant and I'm sure some of them will return again in the not too distant future. As well as some new victims of the Badger. Thank you to the IPL Daily Podcast fan reps. They were absolutely brilliant and so are the current 
BBL fan reps too. So tune into those as we go through the rest of the Big Bash competition. Been a great success, the IPL dailies and the Big Bash dailies. And they've only been that because the fan reps have been absolutely excellent. And finally, last but by no means least, you dear listener, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcasts in your increasing numbers during the year. I hope they've provided a little bit of escapism or interest away from the COVID-19 and all of the other things going on in the world. As I said at the start, I'm sure some of you listening have lost loved ones during this year. So thinking about you as this year comes to a close. But hopefully that attitude of we're all in it together and we'll support each other and we'll be a little bit more tolerant will continue into 2021. Thanks again for all of your listens. I've been James the Cricket Badger and I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a brilliant 2021. Hopefully it's a lot better than the 12 months we've just experienced. I raise a glass to you all. Merry Christmas and I'll see you again soon. Podcast Network.